Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, All Things Dominic Dunn, which truthfully investigators got a wee bit hampered this week. Investigations turn out to be much more difficult to complete with no power in your dwelling, which is what has happened to me all weekend long with an extended power outage. With the spring storm and all the heavy winds that have traveled through the great state of Georgia in the last few days, it has been darn near impossible to use the internet or read books with no light. Power has been restored, no need to worry, thank goodness. And our Gertrude and Gloria Vanderbilt episode is coming to you next Monday. Georgia Power willing. But today I'm not going to disappoint you. I do have a little bonus that we're going to fill in with today. I think you're going to enjoy this. It is a bonus of one of our Not Done Yet episodes from our Done and Done Patreon feed. Grab your passports. We are crossing the pond today to visit the Kent countryside. We're going to talk about Hever Castle, the home of not one but two Tudor queens, both Anne Boleyn and Anne of Cleves, and also home of an Aster, William Waldorf Aster specifically. It has all the things y'all like. Marriages, divorces, real estates, beheadings, and a little Gilded Age glitter too. Thanks everyone for being so kind and understanding on how sometimes we all have to adjust with a quickness to the world that develops very quickly around us. Until we meet again next week, friends, stay curious, keep on investigating. Heaver Castle, two Tudor queens and an aster. Let's investigate. Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of Not Done Yet. This time we're going to take a little trip across the pond and go to Hever Castle. This story is called Two Queens of England and an Aster Brat 2. Oh my gosh, this is a fun one. So in this Not Done Yet, we're going to get into some sticky spiderwebs going from Tudor England to the Aster family. We're going to take a little ride out to Hever Castle in the Kent countryside. Hever Castle, throughout time, has been owned by many families throughout the years. It's rented by a number of other families, too, and each family that lives there will make its own impact. Luckily, this home, with much of its original history, is still in place, partially made responsible by a few of our key players here. This is a fascinating story. I can't wait to tell you about it. So the thing that you need to know about me, the other thing that I'm super into, along with Dominic Dunn, is the history of England, most especially Tudor England. Uh, Back in the day, I had a consulting job, so I traveled all the time. And in every airplane ride, every Monday through Friday at a hotel, I would study source texts of Tudor history, what's going on. I've been studying Tudor England for like 20 years And this Hever Castle story is so much fun for Dunn and Dunn and brings it all together. Tudors and Dunn. Whew, let's investigate. So when it comes to Hever Castle, there's a little bit of a mystery about the dating of the home. We can go back to 1271, going from a Stephen de Penchester to William de Hever. The home is then owned by a family named the Cobhams for a while. 
and goes through a period of multiple owners until we get to how it gets to the second of Henry VIII's queens and Boleyn's family. Now, for the Boleyn family, Norfolk is way more of a home than Kent. The Boleyns are very much tied to Norfolk. Uh, Records begin dating the Boleyn family within Norfolk from the 1280s, according to local church registers. The Boleyns in Norfolk live in a home called Blickling Manor, which apparently is a lovely home, but that home that stands on the property now is not (laughs) Blickling Manor that the Boleyns lived in. But we're not here for that. We're here for Heaver. So Heaver comes to pass into the Boleyn family through Anne's father. So we're focusing here on the Boleyns, not the Howards, Anne's mother's side. So let's begin this tale with Jeffrey Boleyn. Jeffrey Boleyn is born in 1406, and he is the Lord Mayor of London for a while. Jeffrey's knighted, kind of a big deal. And the thing that the Boleyns do really, really well is get married. Uh, Bolin men tend to marry women that are much more highborn than they are. The Boleyns have some nouveau riche cash, but they do not have necessarily dis- a distinguished name. They're the merchant class. So marrying well is what Boleyn men do. It is in their DNA. Jeffrey Boleyn, uh, a fine example here, is going to marry Anne, who is the daughter of Baron Hastings, and at this point begins to amass all sorts of properties, including Heaver Castle. The Boleyn family is going to continue to do well. We're going to get to Jeffrey's son, William, who again marries very well, this time to Lady Margaret Butler, who is Irish nobility. Her family seat is Kilkenny Castle. Jeffrey and Lady Margaret have 10 children, who all in turn make very good marriages themselves. The oldest of those kids, Thomas, is going to marry Elizabeth Howard, who is the daughter of the second Duke of Norfolk. Remember, Norfolk is the home of the Boleyns. The Howard family is one of the most important and powerful in all of England. So when William dies, Boleyn dies, Thomas, his son, is given the property of Heaver Castle, which is terrific because Thomas is an up-and-comer at court, and he totally needs a place of residence to reflect on him, his new position, and have a home for his growing family. Because Thomas has a wife, Elizabeth, and three kids, Mary, Anne, and George. And Heaver Castle, I need you to know, is a working property. And the Boleyns, even though they live on a working farm, that's what everyone was living on. The Boleyns are in the 1%. They may not be of royal pedigree, but they are pretty darn close. Anne Boleyn spends a lot of her childhood here at Heaver Castle. It is her safe haven. It is her place of refuge. This is where Anne will escape to when the court heats up too much about Henry's great matter and his divorce from Catherine of Aragon, wife number one. Henry VIII is sending all of his love letters to Anne at Heaver Castle. 
this is Hever Castle is where Anne will decide to cast her lot with Henry, and she'll fall ill of the sweating sickness here. This is also where her parents retreat to after the downfall of their kids. It's so terrible. Anne Boleyn is going to spend most of her actual thousand days of queenship at Hampton Court. And at the end of it, at the Tower of London, where we know May 19th, 1536, she is beheaded by her loser of a husband. And I will never be over my white hot rage on that one. But as castles go, Hever Castle is pretty much a great one for the time. Pre-death. It's multiple acres. There's a deer park on the property. It's a home. There's a home there. It's not quite a castle yet, but it's a working farm. The property sustains not only itself, but the area around it. At the time of the Boleyns, the Church of St. Peter is on top of the hill. There's a guardhouse. This guardhouse is a series of one-story buildings. So if you have business at Hever Castle, here's where it happens. The guardhouse structures have been around since medieval times. There's a double-storied stable. There are five bedchambers above the stable where the groomers and their families live. There are work buildings, too. A larder, a dairy. Uh, If you get in, actually inside the gatehouse, you'll see a double-moated stone castle with whitewashed walls. Holy cat shell, I can take you on a tour of this home. So can the internet. That's not what I'm here to tell you about. Okay, so Heaver, big working farm of a place. It has a prime place in everything in the Kent countryside. And it's the Bolin home until it isn't. Because what happens after the downfall of Anne Boleyn in May of 1536? Anne does have a swift and brutal fall. In addition to her being slung up on trumped-up charges, her brother George is killed in Henry's rage as well. So Thomas and Elizabeth, Anne's parents, will remain at Hever after the downfall of their kids for quite a while, but there's no one to really pass it on to. The home will pass from the family back to the crown, where my very next favorite Tudor queen, Anne of Cleves, who has an amazing story and a very quick six-month marriage to Henry VIII, gets Hever Castle. Now, she's lucky here. Uh, Six months in, over and done, did the best out of all of Henry's wives. But Hever Castle is one of the bits that is added into Anne of Cleves' divorce settlement. Her hives, her uh, beehives from Hever are legendary. Uh, Things go great for her at Hever. They've actually found, there's a fascinating line of research uh, where they have found a set of panels in a local church that came from Anne of Cleves and Hever Castle. Like, oh, so many spider webs. This is my juice. Anyway, post-divorce, Anne of Cleves is mostly hanging around at Richmond Palace which is a way fancier place and also granted to her within the rights of the divorce. Hever is the probably least important property that Anne gets in the divorce settlement, but Hever Castle is hers by rights granted from the king, which goes great for like seven years until the death of Henry VIII. 
And when Hank 8 dies, it is now his son, Jane Seymour's child, Edward VI, who is in charge. And Eddie VI's counselors are like, Eddie, weaning all this financial divorce weight off your administration. Read this as Eddie the Six's ministers were looking for more grift that they could take. So let's screw over Anne of Cleves. So at the time, Heaver, as the least impressive of her properties, Anne will remain at Heaver until her death. But Richmond Palace yanked. A lot of her other palaces taken. Heaver Castle becomes her home. She loves the Kent countryside. She'll leave funds in her will for the poor. Again, she digs it. Her honeybees are legendary. Heaver's a pretty cool place. After her death, the property will revert back to the crown. There are a few more families that own the property, but again, they tend to rent it out. It is honestly quite remarkable that there is as much of Heaver Castle as still left in place with the amount of renters and tenants through the property. All right, let's get to 1830s. There, there is an extensive renovation in 1830. And the home is eventually within the 1800s owned by a chap called Captain Seabright. And Captain Seabright will rent the home and take out all of the Victorian era renovations that were done back in 1830. And Captain Seabright is renting the home in like this rent to own program. He wants to make it his new home. So he's not messing around. He's doing good things to the home, newfangled things. He's updating it with modern stuff. Captain Seabright knows where he wants to spend his retirement. So now it's a good place to talk about an aster. Oh, and God, what an aster, too. William Waldorf Aster. We talked about him in a few of the episodes within our New York State of Crime Gilded Age stuff, mostly attached to Caroline Shermerhorn Aster. William Waldorf is her nephew. And remember, William Waldorf's father passes away and has left tons of cash. William Waldorf's Astor's father being John Jacob Astor III. So let's go back two generations and talk about Johann Jacob Astor, William Waldorf Astor's great-grandfather, who immigrated from a small German town of Waldorf huh, to America. John Jacob Astor is a, a fur trader in the Northeast and becomes increasingly successful. So by the end of the 18th century, great-granddaddy, John Jacob Astor, owns a fleet of 12 merchant vessels. He extends his empire to New York real estate. And so when great-granddad dies in 1848, he is the richest man in America. When I say loads of cash, I mean it. William Waldorf Astor is John Jacob Astor, the original's great-grandson. So when William Waldorf Astor marries in 1878, this is the same year that William Waldorf will take his New York State Assembly seat. He'll do a little time in the New York State Senate too. After this, William Waldorf is appointed by President Chester Arthur to be the Italian interior minister, 
with the instructions that Chester Arthur gives William Waldorf are go have some fun, (laughs) which William does. He is going to develop a passion for all things courtly European, the great grand style of Europe, uh, art, sculpture, gardens, which gets us to 1890 when William Waldorf Astor's father dies. And now William Waldorf Astor is the richest man in America. And old Willie, he's uh, just disenchanted with the country. He says, it is no longer a fit place for a gentleman to live. And so in 1891, Big Brat is going to pack up his uh, big old money bags with a reputed $100 million and move to England. Now, before Willie leaves, though, we know this, he's going to build the Waldorf Hotel, beginning the feud of the Waldorf and Astoria. Uh, Let's see. Oh, my gosh. This is when he gets in a fight with his Aunt Caroline. This starts all the New York shake-up real estate stuff and like, well, then I'm going to buy a new house, too. Oh, my God. It's so good. William Waldorf Astor, kind of an interesting chap. He does something weird in 1892. He fakes his own death. Like, he just pulls an Agatha Christie and, like, hangs out for a while and comes back like, ha-ha, just kidding. Uh... 1893, oh, Willie's been hanging out in London. He buys uh, Clifton in Buckinghamshire from the Duke of Westminster. Clifton has served as the home of the Prince of Wales, two dukes, and an earl. Willie's doing, with his $100 million, a lot of building projects. In 1895, he'll build a Gothic mansion on the Thames. He does so much in his building project scope that by 1899, William Waldorf Astor is granted British citizenship. Okay, which brings us to July 27th, 1903. Remember Captain Seabright? Been working on Hever Castle, are renting the property to own it. He's been lovingly restoring the property. Psh, not once Astor money comes into play because William Waldorf Astor is going to buy the property outright from the owner. Sorry, Captain Seabright, out of luck. Now, if you look on Hever Castle's website, it's going to say, Hever Castle at the time of the Astor purchase in 1903 was little more than a farmstead, but Astor saw the possibilities and developed an enormous project whilst retaining essential features of an ancient castle. It's a load of crap, y'all. It's a load of bunk. Now, Astor will spend a fortune, but this grand myth that Hever Castle was dilapidated is not true. Uh, This is William Waldorf's own myth. In reality, Hever Castle is in pretty good condition, but Astor's really gilding the lily on this one. Seabright has done a tremendous amount of hard work and probably... It would have been a fine home for anybody without the name of Aster to live in, but that ain't what we're working with, because here comes Aster money. And Hever Castle becomes a significant building project. We are looking at the total amount spent in order to (laughs) renovate, restore, add on to Hever Castle, about 10 million pounds. Those dollars 
10 million pounds 1903 money. If we were to do that same type of renovation, excavation, restructure work today on Hever, it would be about a billion dollars. One billion. Smack a rouge, y'all. Okay. Astor employs 1,000 men just for the gardens, just to dig and restore and plant and do the gardens. He'll employ another 800 men just to dig the new lake. We got 800 craftsmen, too. Plasterers, carpenters, stonemasons, metal workers. And one thing that Astor insists on is that original processes are used for any restoral work. We're not using, like, there's plenty of new stuff that's happening, y'all, don't worry. But for the architecture restoration within the home and within original buildings, it is only original materials and processes which can be used. You see why we're getting to a billion dollars. But restoring the home of Hever is not the only thing that William Waldorf Astor does because he is going to add an additional wing in the back of the home in the style of a Tudor village. This little Tudor village wing has 100 rooms, central heating, cellars, private water. Like he does the work. And the 100-room wing is for his family and all of his friends to come and stay in when they come visit. And don't think for a hot minute that William Waldorf Astor isn't looking to build an Astor dynasty in England. He is, and it he will do it. He'll be really successful at it. But I need to let you know that William Waldorf Astor alone, by himself, will live in the actual home castle part of Hever. And at night every night, he has this radio control thing that deadbolts and locks all the doors at night in Hever to where he is the only person within the actual structure of the castle every single night. Now, William Waldorf Astor is also a believer in the occult. Okay, so while he's here, locked in Hever Castle every night, one of the fun things he does is uh, interact with Anne Boleyn's ghost, apparently, and writes stories about that and publishes them, too. God, he really loves this home. Spends 10 million quid redoing this home. Like It's a lot of quid. It's a lot of love. But legit, Astor does do the work. There may be ghosts. Uh, it is a show home in England for the Astors. There's a lot of, you must come and dine with us in the castle. And he does a remarkable job leaving the original home intact. Uh, certainly wirings, like there are conveniences added, but you'll find that a lot of this is cleverly hidden behind new panels um, it's very smart what he does. Uh, let's see a few more things here. In 1906, Cliveden does go to William Waldorf's oldest son, Waldorf, and his wife, Nancy, as a wedding gift. Fun little thing here. Nancy Astor is Britain's first seated female member of parliament. 
Uh, let's wrap up with a William Waldorf here. He is elevated to peerage as Baron Astor of Hever Castle in the county of Kent in 1916. Britain could handle that, uh, but it's the next year when William Waldorf is elevated to the rank of Viscount, Viscount Astor, that people really get mad. Like the Baron part was fine, but this Viscount promotion does rattle a few cages with people feeling like Astor had bought the title. I don't know if, you know, the English aristocracy is a fine one to talk here because they've been buying American brides now for two generations, but alas. William Waldorf Astor will pass away in October 1919 at his home in Brighton, leaving Hever Castle and his remarkable building project for generations to follow. At Hever now, you can take a tour of Hever Castle. You can have your wedding there in the faux Tudor village. You can just go and have a picnic in the garden. Apparently, it's one of the most magnificent, beautiful gardens in all of England. In my trip to England, I have not made it to Hever Castle. But the next time I make it to the UK, it is one of my places. Kent countryside. It tops the list. Oh, gosh. I don't know if I'm done yet, but I'm done for now. I hope you liked that trip through the Kent countryside with my two favorite Tudor queens and a bratty Astor too, and what Anne Boleyn, Anne of Cleves, and William Waldorf Astor all have to do with each other in the form of Heber Castle. God, I love that story. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Not Done Yet. We'll be back again with something else fun, something else curious, something else to investigate. Big love, y'all. Have a tremendous week. Talk soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at doneanddonepodcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.